Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. I'm ready to dive into God's Word, aren't you? Okay. Get your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, and Proverbs 3. We're going to hit Ephesians 5.27 first, then Proverbs 3 a little bit later. I want to tell you something. Jesus is returning for a glorious church. Say the words glorious church. Glory. He is. He, and and, and I, that means we're full of the glory of God. We have God beaming out of us. But how are we going to do that in this new era when there's so much confusion and there's so much, uh, there, there are just so many issues swirling all around us? Well, I'm going to be talking for the next four weeks about this because, because really, there's an opportunity and there's a challenge ahead of us. Will the church fade into obscurity in this season or will we stand and be differentiated from the world? So over these next four weeks, I'm gonna talk about four qualities that are important to this church, very important to this church as we differentiate ourselves from the world. So I want the, the title of my series is called The Glorious Church. And today, the, this first part of The Glorious Church, I'm talking about this term called legacy. What a weekend it's been. Um, so the, the remembrance of uh, what happened 20 years ago. And... Every time we hit September 11th, it makes me think of what God has done here. Because it was exactly 10 years ago this weekend when we had a grand opening. And it wasn't necessarily all that grand, but to us it was grand. Uh, there were just a few of us here, and we, we, we were doing our best to make things happen. Chris, I was looking back at some old pictures, and you were in here. You were just working and, and just giving your best for Jesus back then. But we had our grand opening, and, and, and it was a date that I had specifically chose on the calendar. I specifically chose September 11th, 2011. Why? It is because it was the 10 year anniversary of an immense tragedy that shifted everything for us in, in our nation. And I felt the Holy Spirit saying, we're going to redeem that day. We're going to take a day that was meant for evil and we're going to redeem it. And, and I felt God saying, we're going to do it through the church. And I preached about that. I preached about that to our tiny little small group that we had back then. And, uh, I, I believe that God likes bringing good out of bad situations. Patriot Day was yesterday, 20 years. Wow. And I, I started thinking back on what was going on with me in 2011, excuse me, 2001 on September 11th. It was the way my day rolled out was absolutely crazy. It, it was, as a pastor, I immediately had to start dealing with things and handling things and working with things that I've never, never, had never considered before. Uh, that morning, as we realized what were happening at the church offices, I was pastoring a large church up in Missouri. And as we were processing it all, watching it on the television, uh, the I, I just I couldn't stand there with the staff much longer, and there were probably about ten or twelve of them just huddled around the TV. And I said, "You guys just watch all you want." It was hard to work that day, 
And I went to my office and I, I tried turning it on on my computer and watching some, some video on the dial-up systems we had back then. If you, if you guys remember that, that was, those were the good old days. <laughs> so we were, I, w- I was kind of watching it and catching up with a little of the news, but I, would just, I just prayed a pace and said, God, this is, this is a moment. You've got to do something. God, I give myself to you. I surrender myself to you. And, and, and I'm telling you this because this is an example of, of what God can and will do. Uh, it was probably about 11.30. My assistant buzzed into my office and said, Pastor Tim, the, uh, the ABC affiliate here in town, KQTV Channel 2, they are wanting to talk to you. And so I'm like, well, okay. So I picked up the phone and... The manager said, listen, we're going to have our very first break. ABC is giving us our very first break at, I think it was like 2.15 p.m., 2.30, something like that. And we would like for you, and we're going to invite one other person to come and, uh, and speak to our community because we're shell-shocked, and we, need, we, need some, we just need some words of encouragement. So will you come? <laughs> wow. Uh, I was actually privileged that day to be the very first person to communicate to the, to the community through local television, through ABC, and to give words of hope and encouragement. I had a little bit of margin there to plan and to prepare what to say. It's kind of tough because you're on the spot and you know that everyone is watching. Everyone is watching. And so God gave me some words to say. I, I jotted them down, and I started calling a few other pastors in town. Said, we, "We've got to plan something. The, the, they, they, want, they want me to talk on television here in a couple hours, and we've got to get something going. Can can you do every pull every connection you can get? But we need a citywide prayer meeting tonight." And they figured it out. It's like you guys got to figure this out because I'm going to go on television. I'm going to announce it. So I was able, I was so privileged to, to get on TV and to announce it that day. And then that evening, we held this huge citywide prayer meeting, and thousands, I mean, thousands of people came out. It was, it was massive. And we prayed for God's blessing in our city, God's blessing on our country. And, and we prayed, we sought God. And the church, our church, other churches as well, was just, were just jam-packed with people for several weeks as people were looking for answers. And, and I felt one of the things that I was supposed to do, I was supposed to establish a legacy in our church of standing up, standing up for what's right. It was a tough time. I'm telling you, it was a tough, tough day. I was no spectator on September 11th. And uh, I remember even with the other pastors, there were discussions. Well, we need people of all faiths to come together, and we need to bring in some Muslims, and we need to bring in some Hindus, and we need to bring some others to pray. I said, no, we're, we're not going to pray to other gods. We're going to pray to one God. I, boy, I started, that's when I started getting, the first time I was in my ministry, I started getting flack. Oh, wait, we've got to pray to all the gods. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, when... when all of these politicians, elected officials were standing in front of the Capitol building singing, God bless America. They weren't singing, God's bless America. I remember that day so well. And I felt God telling me, drop the current series that you're teaching and preaching. And I want you to do a new one. And so I did. I called it America Awakes. It's business as, 
instead of business as usual, it's business as unusual. And for six weeks, I boldly proclaimed what was in my heart. Man, I, I tell you how, I, I had to pray a lot. I had to pray a lot. And those sermons were going out over television as well. And, and I knew that I, I wanted to say what God wanted. I wanted to say the right things, but I wanted to call the church to action. I wanted to call the church to, to action, to also to invest and to raise up a younger generation that would know who God is, what God is all about. So this last week, I... I went through and I reread all of those sermons. I found them in my archive and I, I reread them all. That's where I was reminded of the story of my son and the, 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 very first, uh, the very first allowance that he had received. But I reread those sermons and, and I just was kind of looking over them. I pulled just a few little quotes out of there. I just want you to listen to these. These are things that God spoke 20 years ago this weekend. Interestingly enough, I mean, there's some of the themes that I spoke of 10 years ago when we started, and I'm speaking to them again today, where God says, I'm going to give you my peace. God says, I'm in control, but it's man's freedom of choice that brings birth to all of these crimes, really all evil. The church needs to rise up and defend themselves from evil. We need to consider in whom we trust. We need to call out to God for mercy. We need to be more generous than ever before. I also warned of of what I felt was a spirit of false religion that was about ready to start flooding our nation. I I helped them to understand and realize that, that Satan is furious. The scripture tells us that Satan's fury is going to be unleashed at the very end. He's going to use any and every method that he can to destroy the church because he knows that his time is short. Because, see, Satan is willing to risk anything to stop the gospel and to stop the church. Just pause for just a second here. My, I have a good friend who pastors in Canada, and they are Canadian pastors, Australian pastors. They are, they are they're begging for us to pray for them. Because what doesn't get reported is radical Muslims and Marxists are burning down churches. And you're not seeing it in the media but it's happening everywhere. The government has now come down on churches and is basically telling churches they're going to have to close their doors unless they meet all of these criteria. It is not good. And the same kind of stuff is trying to, trying to warm its way into America. I'm not trying to make this a political thing at all. This is a spiritual thing. But the enemy will use anything and everything that he can to pull down and to destroy the, the, the church of the living God. In fact, one of the things I found in my notes, I said, I believe there's going to be a day when radical Islam and Marxists are going to work together to attempt to destroy the church and, and even usher in the Antichrist. That was shocking. I mean, I, but I've still felt it. Like this is some, and do you realize that that is what's happening right now? Do you know that Afghanistan, since we have pulled out, now communism and Marxism is working together and they are massacring Christians regardless of what you hear in the media. It's not pretty. The churches are closed. I talked about restraints that I felt were going to begin to come upon religion and that there would be something that I would call spiritual terrorism. That what we see in the natural with terrorism that the enemy is going to try to do in the supernatural, which is spiritual terrorism... And I I challenge people, I challenge the children, I challenge the youth, resist cowardly Christianity. We don't need coward Christians at this time. And really, to the degree that we are afraid of any earthly thing, 
anything in this earth that we become afraid of, that's the same degree that we do not believe the message of God. As I, as I looked over that and read through those sermons, uh, I realized, man, you know, I could literally re-preach those sermons today, taking out the September 11th um, references and talk about COVID and Marxism and radical Islam and godlessness in our culture because it all fits, it's still the same. So I'm going to re-preach all of them. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Last Sunday, I, uh, I shared with you seven prophetic words for the church because we have moved into a new season. We move into a new season in the Hebrew, the Adamic calendar. And one of those things that I shared is this, is what is godly and what is ungodly will become very clear. I think there's going to be, a, there will be a very sharp dividing line between what is good and what is evil in this day and in the days ahead. And see, so when we have a choice, which side are we going to fall on? I'm telling you, church, we all have, have to choose on this one. Because God has called us to be a glorious church. So how are we doing? I think we're doing good, but I know we can do better. And, and, and in order to be a glorious church, you have to look, what's, what's it going to look like 20 years down the road? What are our children and our teens going to do? How are they going to participate? How are they going to leave this church? Because, because you may not be fully aware of this, but the culture today is muddying the minds of our children and teens like never before. It is an unbelievable assault. Hear me well. Reprobate culture has more influence over the minds of children and teens today than the church and parents ever did. That's because of basically social media and things that are even being taught in schools. I'll tell you, this is a dangerous plot from hell to prevent the church from being glorious. I could never imagine that there would be a time when even children, some even young adults would, who've been raised in church who really don't know what they believe about abortion. The new issues of gender fluidity. If you don't know what that means, that's like, well, there's a hundred different genders. You can be whatever you want to be. I'm sorry, but the Bible says this. It's just real clear. No, actually, I'm not sorry. It's just real clear. There's a preacher preach the Bible. It's, it's very, very clear. There's two. Would you like to know what they are? No, you already know. There's this unprecedented access to every media imaginable. There's these apps for children that are designed for children and for teens, and they are pushing a very evil, ungodly agenda. It's like, no, it's just a little chat app. You don't see the ads. You don't see what's popping up. You don't see all the other stuff that's on there. And it's wicked, and it's evil, and that's what our children are having to wade through right now just to kind of function in this culture. We're also in an era where there is disrespect for all levels of authority, whether it's police or, or teachers or, or, poli or, 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 you know, even church officials, parents. It's worse now than we've ever known it before. So you think about our children and our teens, and I want to just ask you a question. Who's going to get involved in the lives of the children and the teens today? And, and please don't tell me that's not my thing. Okay, don't. Don't, don't even. Don't even. Don't even. Don't even. In fact, if you're ever teaching or leading something here in this church, I'm just going to, there's a new rule, brand new rule. Don't ever stand up here and say, well, I don't mess with children and I don't do anything with, well, 
let me rephrase that. I don't have anything to do with children's ministry or I don't have anything to do with youth ministry because I don't like it. I don't have anything to do with that. Well, you may not be called to be a children's pastor or a youth pastor, but we're all called. We are all called to it. All of us. That's a new rule. See, the church and the family, the blood family, absolutely must build legacy. We have to teach children, youth, young adults, right from wrong, good from evil, godly from ungodly. If we're going to be a glorious church today and in the future, we must work on this legacy now. Now, this whole concept of legacy has to be at our core. In fact, it is one of our core values. I just want to share with you how it is written out. Legacy says this. This is part of our church documents. Is we value, equip, and fuel the potential of the next generation. So we're valuing their potential. We are equipping them because they have potential. We're just going to dump Holy Spirit fuel on them and education and help so they can excel in their potential. Next part is this. We have a great responsibility to those younger than us. Younger than you. All of us have a responsibility to anyone who's younger than you. The older you get, the greater that responsibility goes. That goes for your home, that goes for your work, that goes for the community and the church. Goes on to say, we recognize that there is great potential in the next generation with huge opportunity for both good and evil. We recognize it. You see that? See, the culture is trying to pervert the potential. The culture is trying to beat it down. So that's why the church today must arise and we must be countercultural. Countercultural. And it doesn't just happen automatically, it only happens with intention. And the, 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 the statement goes on. So we choose to bring out the good by discipling, loving, and relating to those who follow us. Disciple people. We're going to disciple children and young adults in this church, teenagers. We're going to take them on a spiritual journey. We're going to love them. We're going to love them unconditionally through their ups and downs and their struggles and, and all that stuff. And we're going to show it. We're going to demonstrate it. That's just who we are. We're going to relate to them. So you say, well, I can't relate to, yeah, yeah, you can. You can find common ground with anyone. You can find common ground with anyone. Boy, it sure is hot outside. Yeah, it is. Bam! All of a sudden, you've related to them. <laughs> it's pretty easy. We relate. We find common ground and we relate. I'll tell you, the uh, children and the teenagers of this house should never go without quality mentorship because there's so much good in them, and it is the responsibility of parents and the church to pull the good out. To be a glorious church, we absolutely must be a church that is called to legacy, regardless of whether anybody invested in your life when you were a child or a young adult or not. Part of the Church I Dream statement, which is uh, posted in our foyer, says this. It says, the Church I Dream is committed to the younger generation raising up world changers, educating, empowering, and releasing them into their destinies. Can you get behind a vision like that? See, this is all about being a glorious church. Now I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. I ask you to open your Bibles to that. And I'm going to read this from two different uh, translations. The first one I'm reading from the New American Standard. Then we'll hit the NIV. 
But, but it says in Ephesians 5.27, it says that he might prevent, present to himself the church in all her glory. Say the word glory. 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 Having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. She representing the church, the body of Christ. The, the New International Version says this, and to present her to himself as a radiant church. Say radiant. Radiant, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I think radiant is a good word that's used in the NIV, but the word glory or glorious is actually better. In this case, I, I actually refer back to the King James Version, which just says we are to be a glorious church, a glorious church. So what does it mean to be glorious? Let's, let's, let's get into the Bible. Let's, let's look, at, look at the definition here. This, this word glorious comes from the, the Greek, and it's called endoxus. That's the Greek term right there. And it means this. It means glorious, <laughs> radiant. It means gorgeous and honorable. It means esteemed and splendid and illustrious. It means to be clothed in his glory. So Look at that, jot that down, because this is not a church that blends in with the culture at all. Do you see how we stand out? See, we're to be, the scripture says, we are in the world. That means we're in the culture, but we're not of the culture. See, we are in it, but we're not of it. That means we look, we act, we behave, we talk differently than the rest of the world. So who who will believe in legacy and who will build it into the lives of children and youth so that there really will be a glorious church because that's what's coming. That's what's coming, guys. That's what's coming. You have some homework. I want you to read through Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. I actually wanted to read through the whole thing this morning, but I thought, well, no, actually, I'll sign out some homework. And then Elizabeth comes up here on her own, not having looked at my notes, and she starts reading Ephesians. She goes, I'm going to start with verse 1, chapter 4. I'm like, okay, just here we go. She's trying to do my sermon for me. I don't know where she's going with this, but she's already given you the first several verses of Ephesians 4. Now you can pick up where she left off and keep reading it, because Ephesians 4 and 5 talks about what Jesus is building in this church, in, in this world, so that we will be a glorious church. It talks about how what we do, what we say, how we think, how we act, how we differentiate ourselves. Because church, it is time. It is time. It's time to stop blending in. Ephesians chapter four talks about how we're going to arrive at this unity of the faith and it's going to be brought about by pastors and evangelists and and teachers and and prophets and apostles and and, and we're going to be growing into the full measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I don't even know what all that means, but it's just pretty amazing. Then chapter five says that we're going to be presented to Jesus as a glorious bride, a glorious church, and that is God's plan. Ephesians 4 and 5 is God's plan. And if we follow God's plan, we're going to be a glorious church. But if not, we certainly will become obscure and we will fade away. I tell you what, this guy is choosing to be part of the glorious church. I choose also to invest in legacy because the hope of the church of the future is actually in the hands of the younger generation. You know what? Their best experiences should be at church. Their best experiences should be in that children's church or in that youth group or in those children's classes where other grown-ups are investing in them. A little bit about me. At the age of three, I gave my life to Jesus. 
three years old. I very recall, clearly recall when it all happened. Joel, I know your, your dad was a, was a children's evangelist, so you, you understand all this. And so, Joel, I don't know when you gave your life to Jesus, how many of those sermons of your, that your dad preached, you gave your life to the Lord. But I remember at the age of three, I would listen. We didn't have a children's church, but I would listen. I was sitting on the front row, and if I wasn't listening, my mom would pinch me. And, and yeah, she would pinch me. She would. It wasn't child abuse. She, would, she was teaching me that I better listen in church. You listen, young man. Or I'll march you out of here. And she would occasionally march me out. She, you know what? My mother would take me down the center row of the church. That was literally marching me out. And there was some discipline that was, that was given. And then she would march me back in. I'm thinking, all my friends are going to see tears in my eyes. But I would go there and I would just sit there. So good. All right. But it paid off because at the age of three, I kept listening to my dad talk about, he would say, giving Jesus into your heart. And so, so, I thought it was just like adults would, would respond to that. And so I, I was at home. I said, Dad, how do I get Jesus into my heart? And he was sitting in the living room in this old wooden rocking chair. And I crawled up in his lap. And he said, oh, well, I'd love to tell you. He said, I said, well, I remember saying this. I can't figure it out because, I mean, do I have to open my mouth really wide to get Jesus inside? How, does, how is that going to work? Because I couldn't figure out the physics of the whole thing. And, and, and uh, Dad clearly explained to me how it all worked. And he just said, you just got to ask him to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins. So I did, and I prayed, and, and I, I repented of all the evil, vile sins of a three-year-old. It's funny because as I was praying, it's, I can still remember this, guys. I remember repenting. Part of that prayer in my mind, I was thinking, I remember stealing cookies from mom's counter when she said not to, and she thought I was taking a nap. And just, I thought of these various things that I was, but I was repenting of all the wicked sins of a three-year-old. And, and I remember tears filling my eyes, but I just felt this warmth all over me. And, and, and it was great. I mean, I was born again in my dad's arms. Guys, that's a legacy. It happened through the family and it happened through the church. I was baptized in water by my dad at age six. If, if, a, if a son or daughter of yours or someone that you're discipling, that you lead to Christ, if they're, if, when they're ready to be baptized, which I recommend, it's, it's actually biblical, you need to baptize them. It's not just the preacher thing to do. You get to baptize them around here. I believe in that. I was filled with the Holy Spirit when I was seven years old in my dad's church. My dad invested in me, and he taught me the ways of Christ. And I remember longing to go to dad's office in the church. And I would just simply lie on the floor in his office, and just I just love that place. I mean, Jake, I know your dad was a pastor, and, and I don't know if you have any memories like that, but man, I love dad's office. I would look through his books, and when my dad passed away, I, mom, my mom said, would you want any of those books? I'm like, yeah, all the books I used to look at when I was a kid. And so I just put cases and cases of them home, and I, I still have them. But I wanted what dad had. And it wasn't just the fact that he was a preacher. Because what I received from him, I received his wisdom and I received my dad's best traits, the best disciplines. I also received from my dad this experience of Jesus Christ. Now, dad wasn't perfect by no means at all, but he was a man of God. And even though he's with Jesus today, the investments of legacy in me that came through my dad, it's still making a difference. And it's making a difference to countless others. In fact, I, I'm very fortunate to have my dad's old sermons. I have them all. 
And every night I have them in bed and I read a devotional each night before I go to sleep. And what it is, it's an old sermon of my dad's. I love it. My dad was committed to legacy. And so when I was very young, I decided I wanted to be committed to investing in people who were younger than me. So I, uh, I started my first children's church, my first kids' church when I was 12 years old. There was a need in my church. And so I went to dad after church and I said, hey, uh, there's... I, there are so many children in the church, and they're just, they don't need to sit there, you know, with their moms, pinching them, and, I, and taking them in and out. I didn't say that, but I think that was part of the inspiration. But, but, but I, I would love to do something. Can I, can I do a kid children's church? And my dad said, well, of course. And so he assigned it to my mom, my mom to figure it out how to help me out. So I, did, I started my first children's church. I remember there were nine kids that first Sunday. I had them all on one row right in front of me. I said, if we get 20 kids in here, you get to, you get to throw a pie in my face. And I was so excited. And then the next week, he's like, come on, invite all your friends. The next week, there were eight. I'm like, well, that didn't work out. But later in college, I began studying to be a pastor. And, and as I was studying to be a pastor, one of the things my dad told me to do, he said, because, son, one thing is critically important for your future. And not just because you're, going, you're wanting to be a pastor, but it's a critically important. You need to find a church. You need to get involved. You need to do something, do anything. If it means emptying the pastor's trash, empty the pastor's trash. And that's not a recommendation for any of y'all, okay? That's already taken care of. So I, I got to the church, and one of the pastors uh, it's called me up, actually called me up on the platform, me and my roommate, and said, hey, what are you guys doing here? Yeah, oh, we're college students. Yeah, yeah. He said, well, good. You, you should be involved in children's ministry. So we looked at each other and went, well, okay. Okay, and so the next thing you know, we're teaching the five-year-old boys Sunday school class. And then we moved on. I was the children's director. Before I graduated from college, I was on the full-time staff there as a children's pastor. I never felt called to be a children's pastor, but I was doing what, what, I was, doing what was in front of me. It was awesome, man. I would leave our campus at 6, 6.30 in the morning and drive to church on Sunday mornings and uh, got to serve as a staff pastor eventually. But one of my biggest rewards is... I've, I've gotten to see now the influence that that's made. I, th I thought about it as I was preparing this sermon, and I sometimes I don't, this stuff doesn't even come to mind because it's happened so often, but this week alone, I've been contacted by three people. These are actually three grown men today that were little children in my children's church when I was a children's pastor. And they refer back to experiences, sermons, encounters with God, and relationship. And they're still growing in their faith. That is amazing. And not that I'm amazing, but that is amazing. When you do something, you pour into the lives of other people. When you get to see it producing results, it, it, is, it is crazy amazing. I realize this is like I'm still a spiritual father to these guys. I also raised my sons, and I, I invested in them with full investment, and I have no regrets regarding how I raised my son to, sons to love God. So how do we build a glorious church, guys? It is through lasting legacy. And here it is. Lasting legacy, get this down, it is formed through relationships with those younger than ourselves. I'll say it again. Lasting legacy is formed through relationship with those who are younger than ourselves. It, it's, a, it's, it, it's about pouring into people who are younger than you somehow within your sphere of influence. 
Today's children and young adults, they need relationships. They need coaching to steer them through the rough terrain of life. And they need moms and they need dads who are going to say, get yourself out of bed. You're going to church. When I grew up, there was no option. It wasn't around the house. Do we go to church today or not? Do we feel led? I, I, I've literally had people say, oh, I don't come to church because I don't feel led. Like, led? I mean, what are you doing? It's like, you're going to get lead poisoning. Don't, don't be going to lead. You're not, stop the lead stuff. No. you Lead. That I, I, is just about how I react when someone tells me that. But you got to build legacy in your home and in the church. There was a sociological study that was done where they questioned several people, a whole bunch of people. They were over the age of 95. So these people have been around for a while. And the question was, if you could live your life over again, what would you do differently? And so they got in a bunch of answers. But there were these three responses that came in a variety of forms that came up over and over and over. And here they were. If I had to do it over again, I would reflect more. If I had to do it over again, I would risk more. And if I had to do it over again, I would do more things that would live on after I'm dead. What are you going to do that's going to outlive your life? Now, I know you may be running a wonderful company and say, well, that company is going to outlive my life. Oh, you don't know that. <laughs> now you don't. But what are you going to do? It's investing in the lives of other people, especially those who are younger than you. Are your values, are your ethics, are your passions going to outlast you? Are they? The only way that happens is if you are investing in the lives of someone who's younger than you. Parents, legacy begins at home. It begins at home. Church attendance should not be a question. You don't let your, your children question, well, should we go to school today or not? I don't know, what do you think? You, on Monday morning, you're not going to say, well, do I go to work today or not? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And all the school and, and, and work, man, that's great. Do that. Please, please do that. But why do we allow a culture of questioning church on Sundays into our homes? We don't. We shouldn't. Because what happens here is what actually perpetuates eternity. It has lasting value. It does. It does. That's legacy. You know, parents, children keenly observe what's important to you, and they will emulate it. They will emulate it. They will also notice the things that are optional to you, like, oh, I don't know, I don't care. And they will grow up with an attitude of like, well, if it wasn't very important to them, it isn't important to me. Legacy is critical in the church, and it's critical in the home. And I challenge you to begin loving and discipling somehow, serving in children's ministry, uh, get, pulling together a, 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 a small group, starting a small group and inviting some people who are younger than you to, to jump into that group with you. And I, I, th there are so many opportunities to do that. There really, really are. Um, in fact, investing in someone younger than you, I believe, is one of the best ways to leave a legacy. And one of the worst things you can do is to think, well, I'm too young myself. I don't have enough to give. I'm just too young myself. I, one of the things I really love about our church is we have several teenagers who are in the back right now ministering to the children. <laughs> yeah, they've already got it. And I want that to be perpetuated in this church. 
You want to change the world? Yeah, I want to change the world. Then you need to start at home. And then you need to move it to your church. And you need to take it to the community and to the world. See, people who leave the best legacies are always looking several generations ahead. What's out there in the future and how can I influence that through my words and my actions and my duties right here? Because your actions count. Your actions count. So where do you begin? Well, it's really, really clear. You need to pray. You need to ask the Holy Spirit. In fact, this is our main prayer for today. Holy Spirit, show me, lead me in ways that will make an impact beyond my lifespan. How can I make an impact beyond my lifespan? Show me, Holy Spirit. And the reason we want to pray that is because you don't know what's in the future. You don't know what's out there. You don't know what's going to happen. There are things that will disrupt and have disrupted culture and nations and and homes. So you don't know what's in the future. But God does, and when you begin to pray, God, how can I do something? How can I uh, do things for the lives of other people that's going to outlast me? God will show you. I really believe. I really believe that God will do that. And here's a good way to do it. Darius, I need you for you to come up here, please. Uh, This morning, Darius, I'm just thinking, wow, you're doing this right here because you're up here on a camera today. You're pretty awesome. Darius, I, I, uh, I just decided this morning, I said, okay, when I walk into the building, the first teenager I, I'm gonna, I see, I'm going to ask him to, to volunteer to come up on the platform. So here you are, Darius. You're looking good. Yeah, smile at the camera. You, 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 know, you know how to do the camera. <laughs> Darius, I want to read something to you here. I want to read to you this passage of Scripture, and this is found guys need to look it up. It's in Proverbs chapter number three. But I'm going to share with you some principles. All right? I don't want you to receive them. Okay? Now this says my son. I know you're not my son's son. I know not that. Anthony's going to come up and say, hey, he's my boy. You know? but, but you are my spiritual son. Don't call me Father Tim, though. That would be weird. Okay? Just My son, Do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years, and they'll bring you peace. My words will bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, and then you're going to win favor, and you're going to have a good name in the sight of God and people. Darius, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he'll make your path straight. Darius, don't be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. You know what that'll do? That will actually bring health to your body and it will bring nourishment to your bones. Darius, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. That doesn't mean you need to drink wine though, okay? That's just, that's, 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 that's
Do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves just as a father does the son he delights in. And verse 21 says this, my son Darius, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life to you. They will be an ornament to grace your neck. And then you're going to be able to go your way in safety and your foot won't stumble. When you lie down, you won't be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Darius, have no fear of any kind of disaster or ruin that overtakes the wicked people because the Lord is going to be by your side and he's going to keep your foot from being snared. Finally, Darius, don't withhold good from those whom it is due when it is within your power to act. Say, so, yeah, that's it. That's all there is to it. Give him a big hand. He did a great job. That's a simple demonstration of what should happen in the home, what should be happening in the church. Do you know that if parents, if you're saying one thing to a child or a young adult, but it's, it's, but they're not in church, they're not able to get it reinforced. And if they're only hearing it at church and you're not, they're not getting it reinforced. The church can't replace parenting, but it accentuates it. Here's what, I'm, here's what I'm going to ask us to do. I've challenged you today, and I'm going to ask every one of you to pull out a next card. There's those cards that are in front of you, all around, all around. Grab one of those. Could you bring one of those cards up here to me? Yeah, bring one up here. But the next card, just grab one of these. this all the time, but flip over on the back. One of the things that I just recommend that you do is mark an area where you're willing to serve in your local church. I think some of the best ministry that's happening in this place right now is not necessarily happening in here, but it's happening back there. I really believe that. Would you be willing, some of you, just to serve, maybe even just a week, a month? So simple. With our little babies, with our children. It's, I think of how much you've invested in our children. Wow, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm going to start going around the whole building. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But the way you invest in our teenagers and our young adults. But if you're interested... In knowing more, you're not, you're not actually saying you're going to start doing this next week, but you're interested in knowing more about how you can potentially serve in any of these areas. But I want to just specially note children's ministry, youth ministry, just mark it. And maybe, maybe you would like to start a group. There's not even a place on here for that because we usually don't open it up to the whole congregation, but we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll dialogue it. So if you're interested in starting some type of a connect group so you can bring others around you and grow together, oh, man, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Donna, you're, you, you're like one of the primo connect group leaders. You're 
Bible study and you keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And I love it because you gather ladies around you of all ages, younger ladies, and you study the Word of God. It's just so simple, so beautiful, and so rewarding, isn't it? It is. So if you're interested in potentially leading a group market on there, if you're watching online in the e-community, uh, they've dropped a link into the into the comments. You can click on that and you can go ahead and fill out an online connect uh, next card. But would you take, I'm asking everybody, will you fill this out? Just fill it out. Just fill it out. And maybe you're involved in some of this already. You can just mark the one that you're already involved in and we'll know. This is a season where it needs to be all hands on deck. Our church is growing seeing good things happen. God is opening up new doors for us. It's a new day. This church will not fade into oblivion. This church will not blend in with the culture to where you can't tell it from like, is it Christian? Is it not? There is no way. And I need your help. We've got to do this together, church. Our teenagers and our children need it only knew the questions that little children and the teenagers are bringing to my son Ian who helps lead some of these areas you would be shocked it's because of what the culture's feeding them and we got a team up together we got a job to do we got a job to do so I'm asking everyone fill this out and I'm here in just a few minutes I'm asking you just to bring them up to the edge of the platform and just drop them off here we figured out what we could send ushers and I'm like, oh, let's just make it easy. Ushers, that way you can stay seated and just bring it up here. If you're part of the band or the worship team, you'll be able to bring yours up here when you come up in here in just a second. Before I go any further, I want to I want to ask you, if, there, if you're here today and you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, that is the first, foremost, and most important thing that you need to do. If there's sin in your heart, if there's a barrier between you and God, if you're not sure of your eternal destiny, if, you're, if, you, were to, if you were to die the moment you leave here, just immediately drop it. Would, would you be in eternity with Jesus? And if you're not sure, I want you to be sure before you leave here today. So take a moment with everyone, bow your heads, please. Everyone just in reverence before God. Search your heart. And if that's you here today and you need to give your life to Jesus, I want to pray a prayer with you. And I want to give you the opportunity of receiving Christ. So at the count of three, I want you to lift your hand if that's you. And I'm going to connect my eyes and my faith with you. And then we're going to pray together. You need Jesus today. You're ready to turn your back on that life of sin. Lift your hand. One, two, three. Lift it up for me and hold it up so that I can see it. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, guys. You can put your hands down. If you lifted your hand, pray these words with me right now. Come on, just mean it from the bottom of your heart. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my unrighteousness. I choose today to become a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone and the new has come. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to dwell in me. My body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.
I ask our worship team to close us with a nice, cool song. I don't remember what the nice, cool song is, but uh, as we're doing that, I'd like for all of you guys to, to please stand. And, uh, and as they're singing, as they're singing worship, just go ahead and bring your cards. Just fill the front up here, and then we'll close in just a moment. But, but please do this so before we can have a formal closing today. God bless you as you bring those up. Have you discovered your street of influence? Whether it be family, government, business, arts and entertainment, faith, health and vitality, or education, head over to culturalstreets.com and discover your street today.